If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're, you're joining us. If you have your Bibles, please be turned to the book of Ephesians. We're going to pick up our study on the seven realities of HBF. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, next week is Father's Day, so we're having dads and donuts. So you'll want to be here for that. Yeah. And my wife said, Brian, you're not eating donuts. So, well, no, she gets my donuts. See, she worked that out. So uh, I said, all right, honey, I know where my bread is buttered. All right, so uh, seven realities of HBF. That's what we've been talking about, and uh, we're in reality number four. four. I got started last week with the first one, and so this morning we're going to continue on. But just by way of reminder, we were in Ephesians chapter 1 last week, and uh, we were looking at, um, we tackled that first point. Uh, of the of the the first subpoint, I should say, of the fourth reality, which is that real ministers reproduce God's character. We took the time last week to point out that real ministers reproduce obedient children. And of course, we were talking about not just physical children, but most importantly, spiritual children, because discipleship is our mission. This week, we're going to build upon that from Ephesians six and see how real ministers reproduce humble servants and submissive masters. So that will conclude uh, our time on this fourth reality. When it comes to real ministers reproducing God's character, we do that through reproducing obedient children, humble servants, and submissive masters. So last week we asked the question, and you may uh, have slept since then, what is a minister? Does anybody remember what is a minister? It's just a servant, right? Specifically said anyone who serves under authority is a minister, and uh, you all are deputized to serve. See, so there you are. You're all ministers. It was that easy. And so the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the word minister is found 66 times, and we went through all of that. And the best example of, in the New Testament, it's, it's not found as often, but uh, the words like, uh, you know, uh, minister and service go hand in hand when you looked at that in the New Testament. So the best example of a minister outside of Jesus Christ, of course, was Joshua. We saw that uh, he's also a wonderful type of Christ, as his word, his name means uh, Jesus in the Greek. And uh, we looked at Hebrews twenty four thirteen and saw that Moses rose up, and Joshua there is called his minister. And uh, that's the first time you see minister in the Bible. It's associated with Joshua. We saw how Joshua was a humble minister as he followed Moses obediently. Joshua was a faithful minister. He was a patient minister. He was a proven minister. He was an honorable minister. Uh, Joshua was a spirit-led and wise um, minister as he trusted the Lord Uh, and all the military exploits that the Lord would have him lead. Joshua was blameless in ministry, um, and, of course, he ultimately ended that ministry saying, hey, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, right? Serve the Lord. He reproduced service in his family. It's like, the rest of y'all, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is what we're going to do, right? We're going to serve the Lord. And, of course, the perfect minister is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as Joshua pictures Jesus, who... Though he was God, God manifests in the flesh. He, he, came and he, he came to this earth to die on the cross and made himself uh, you know, lower than the angels so he could take upon the suffering of death. Now, of course, also, there's a whole... I didn't mention this last week. It just came to my mind just now. But there's a whole gospel, right? Which gospel represents Jesus as a servant? Anybody know? I know some of you do. Which one? Mark. Mark, that's right. So the gospel of Mark. There's a whole... Out of the four gospels... Each gospel views Jesus from a different perspective. And, um, and he's not just a servant, but he was the model servant. And there's a whole gospel, the gospel of Mark, that is dedicated to just laying out. When you read through Mark, it, it views Jesus as a servant. That's why there's no, uh, there's no uh, posterity listed there, uh, like in the other ones. In Luke, 
Uh, and of course, John attributes him to be God. In the beginning was the Word. Luke gives you his human lineage, and Matthew gives you the kingly lineage, uh, going all the way back uh, to David. Uh, Luke takes him all the way back to Adam, and, uh, and all of those lineages are there. When you get to Mark, there's nothing, right? Why? Because he's a servant. He just served. He was a humble servant. All right, so a little extra, a little sugar on top. So even, even, uh, even Satan has his ministers. We talked about that last week, and that's no surprise. And, and so that led us to our first point, that real ministers reproduce obedient children. And, uh, and so real ministers uh, choose to obey God, uh, and that real ministers receive the blessings of obedience. We talked about that, and real ministers are obedient parents themselves. All right, so that leads us to where we need to go. If you have your Bibles, let's stand and we're going to read in the book of Ephesians, the text, and we're going to run down through verse 9. We're going to talk about uh, three things. As you look at this passage, you're going to see children and fathers. You're going to see servants and masters. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says here, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. In verse 4, fathers, Father's Day is coming up. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Verse 5, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Verse 9, And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to stand before your word this morning. So thankful for the wonderful baptism that we just witnessed. Thank you for Audrey's uh, testimony to us. We pray, Heavenly Father, um, as she preached her first message after salvation, Lord, you continue to just glorify yourself in her life. Lord, we pray, God, for the opportunity this morning to um, just learn and glean from your word. And, uh, Lord, I just uh, also want to pray and mention uh, my brother Brian Parrott, who lost his mother this morning. I pray you bring comfort to him. She tuned in every Sunday morning, and now she's watching from heaven, and we praise God for that. Lord, we pray this morning a blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to begin uh, this point with an emphasis on the last passage that we were reading last week, which you probably don't recollect, but we were talking about how real ministers love it when their disciples learn to walk in obedience. Uh, and I was in Third John chapter, well, there's only one chapter, in verse 4. In Third John, in the fourth verse, uh, that passage says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And time was out, and I had to run, so we kind of cut off. But that is a wonderful way to really uh, encapsulate uh, what all of us want when it comes to children. We want to we rejoice in the, the children when they walk in truth. And our Father in heaven, uh, same thing. He, is, he gets a lot of enjoyment from us walking in truth. And so, <clears throat> as we concluded there last week, it's important that uh, we are excited about it when our children are born, of course, we celebrate when they take their first steps and, we, and they walk. Everybody, I mean, wants to be there when their child takes their first steps. Um, and, and so we're excited when we, when we see that. We're excited when they're born. There's these, uh, land, uh, these uh, landmarks in their life that we're watching. 
Um, but we know that when they begin to walk, we know they're going to stumble. We know they're going to fall. We know they're not going to be perfectly just walking. The, you know, they're going to have to go through some things. And eventually they will begin to walk in a way that will uh, keep them from falling. And that they'll be able to walk successfully. So walking in the Spirit and obedience to the voice of God that resonates from the Word of God is much like that. We get excited when someone is born again. We're excited when they receive Christ as Lord and Savior, but we recognize that people are going to struggle in their walk. It's, Paul wrote about it in, in, to the Corinthians. He says, you know what, baby Christians are carnal, but we should all be striving, right? That's what Heartland's all about, equipping the saints of God and the Word of God to accomplish the mission of God in the power of God for the glory of God. Right? We want to see folks grow in their, in their faith, and that's the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And not just what you know about the Word of God, but what we, what we live needs to be real. That's why we have seven realities. And so we have to be about the business of living it out. Stumble, bumble, fumble, whatever you do. You know, eventually, you've got to get back up, hopefully sooner than later. Uh, confess and forsake it, whatever it is, and keep walking. Right? You've got to walk forward. And you grow. When you do that, what you're doing is growing in obedience. That's the first thing a child has to learn is obey. Well, if you want to learn anything uh, about the Christian life, it is to obey, right? And God wants you walking. He wants us to get up and walk. He wants us to walk in obedience. And the more we, we, uh, we mature, the more we understand that. And walking in the Spirit is really what, not walking in the flesh, that's what we struggle with. We walk in the flesh. What happens, you can tell me, class, what happens when we walk in the flesh? You get dirty, you fall, right? Any, anyone ever walk in the flesh? I'm the only one here, right? So <clears throat> you walk in the flesh, boom, you fall. And so how do you get back up again? You got to get your legs under you. Well, you got to obey God's word, right? That's what it boils down to because you walk in the spirit. It's a supernatural walk. And so you can't just do this thing. Well, you can try and you can try to fake it till you make it, but you're going to be the most frustrated Christian in the world, right? It has to happen through the power of the spirit. At some point you have to just, just the same way you got saved, is you gave up and you just trusted God? Well, guess what? That's the same way you walk. You just obey God. Well, I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like doing that. God's like, Brian, I don't really care what you feel like. I just need you to walk in the Spirit. Just trust me here, son. And guess what? When you trust Him and you, and you walk forward in faith, it's amazing how your feelings catch up, isn't it? And you're obedient. And, and there's no better feeling as a child of God. Not only does it give God glory when you are obedient and, and He's pleased as your Father, but man, it makes you feel good to go, man, I obeyed the Lord. I did what God asked me to do. I, I was obedient. And the Spirit of God is, is not grieved, and the Spirit of God is not quenched, and the power of God's Spirit's in your life. Next thing you know, people around you start listening to the words that you have to say because God puts the words of eternal life not just in your mouth and not just in your head, but they come forth flowing out of your heart like a fountain of living water. It's amazing. And so that's really what it's all about. It's pretty simple. We can just wrap it up and go home now. But uh, I want to work this a little bit further because there's some things we, we can build upon that. Discipleship is all about that. It's, it's, about hand, it's handing off, uh, you know, uh, the, w that's what discipleship is. It's, a, it's the mission of God. Jesus had this, has this mission. He has this big... Now, could Jesus accomplish what he wants on his own? Sure, he could. But he chose to use men. And he grows them up so they can walk, Right? We end the New Testament, you know, dealing with the, 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 them stumbling. What do they need? They need the power of the Spirit to, to fulfill it. And then he says, wait till the Spirit comes, and now you can go. Go ye therefore. Teach all nations. And that's what we've been doing as a church ever since. God's been doing that in our life. And so we're working that out in this church. 
right? I, I'm praying that God is calling some of you to, to go ye therefore and teach all nations, whether it's across the street and your neighbor, across the world on a missions trip, or maybe some need to just answer the call to go and be a pastor or a missionary and just give their life fo- fully to reproducing local New Testament churches in other cultures or in this culture and, and, and continue to multiply at that level. But whatever it is, we're all called to do that. We're all called to be part of the discipleship process at, at some level. And so uh, a minister is a servant, and, and being a servant or a minister is the next thing Paul brings up in the text in Ephesians chapter 6. We talked about being a child, but in verse eight he, he or verse 5, he starts off there, and he says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, and <clears throat> with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Now, we're no longer talking about a father-son relationship. We're talking about servants. Uh, real ministers serve with a single heart. Serve, they serve with a single heart, and it's the heart that only God sees. Others will not understand the godly servant's motive. They will under, underestimate the godly servant's potential, but God will receive <clears throat> the one with a pure heart and desire to glorify that desires, I'm sorry, and, and with a desire to glorify and serve God. When our heart is to, to serve God, God sees it. God will also promote the one who has a heart to honor him. And of course, the clearest example of that that many of us are aware of is David, right? What a great example in the Bible where David has the right heart. Nobody knows it, but God knows it. Samuel doesn't even know it. His dad doesn't even know it. His brothers don't know it. Nobody knows that David has what it takes to be the servant that God would have him to be. But we know in 1 Samuel 16, 7, Samuel said, the Lord, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for, men looketh, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And so we see that when Samuel was looking to, to anoint the next king, uh, because Saul wouldn't walk in the Spirit, so to speak. He was not willing to submit to God's will. He wasn't willing to obey. God found someone who was. And what he looked for was not the height of their stature or their outward appearance, how handsome they were or how ruggedly strong they were, or whatever it was on the outward appearance. He says, you know what? I'm looking for someone with heart. And ends up being the runt of the litter, right? The, the little brother that nobody even is missing is the one who's been out in the hillsides uh, meditating on scripture, slaying lions and bears, right? The, the, the little guy out there tending the sheep, doing what his dad tells him to do, uh, is the one that God says, oh, that's the one. That's the one. And David was a great servant long before he was a great captain and a great king. As a matter of fact, when you see him introduced in, in, uh, in the story of David and Goliath, what was he doing uh, at the beginning of that story? He was serving his father, right? He's just like, hey, take some vittles down here to your fo- to your your brothers, and as you're down there, tell, get a report on what's going on. Bring it back. What, they, there was no intention of David staying there and fighting a battle. He was just serving. He's just doing what his dad told him to do. Next thing you know, he is center stage in a huge, epic battle. Why? Because he understood what? God's heart. He understood God's heart. Here, the, Everything was in, in lockdown. We know what lockdown's like. right? Everything was in lockdown. Nothing was moving. Uh, one and, and you have this guy just just verbally abusing um, the people of God on their own property, right? On their own property, for goodness sake. And and it was just a reproach to David. I mean, it just he just it was absurd. He couldn't understand how the God 
that Joshua served, the God that cleaned out the giants from this promised land, how in the world is it that all of a sudden, some years later, we're allowing giants to stand on our property and challenge us and we can't even move? We're immobilized? Man, guys, I think, uh, I think David just had a heart for God. I think he just had a heart for God. I mean, there's people today that think the sky is falling, that like Jesus isn't Lord. There's people today that don't think the gospel works. But beloved, I'm telling you, the reason the gospel isn't working in our culture has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with the Spirit of God. It has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. It has everything to do with our hearts. It's our heart issues. Right? Our hearts have to be focused on things above. That's what Colossians, the book written to this church age, tells us very clearly. If we want to be real servants, then what do we need to do? Set our affection on things above. And so it starts here. We've got to get real about being good servants. You ain't going to be some great captain if you're not a good servant. Point two, the servant's single heart ensures pure motives. What made him such a good servant in the case of David or any good servant is the, is the heart. It's a single heart, and it has pure motives. In Matthew six twenty four, Jesus said this, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In that example, God is saying very clearly, Jesus is saying, listen, you can't serve me and serve money, filthy riches of this world. doesn't mean you can't have money. Obviously, you need money. He, he, had, he found money for them to pay taxes and all that other stuff. But the heart's desire can't be money, right? We're warned of that. There, he says, don't serve the Lord for filthy lucre's sake. Paul said that. Why? Because Jesus said what he said. The reality is, is we've got to be motivated by something that's pure, and it's not financial gain. It's the gain of God's kingdom. In this case, in the church age, it's the kingdom of God. Now, Paul said in Romans 6, 16, you know, not, <clears throat> know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God bethink that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Hallelujah to you. Can, you. can you remember? How many can remember? I don't care if you got saved at 5 or 8 or 10 or, or, or at 50. Do you remember what it was like to be a servant of sin? Amen. Well, I can tell you, you remember. Because every time, like me, every time you quit walking in the, flesh, in the Spirit and you stumble and fall, that's a reminder, isn't it? It's like, oh man, I don't want to be here again. And what do you do? You get back up and start walking in the Spirit. You obey the Lord. Why? Where does that transaction happen? It starts in the heart, right? Your heart changes, and you're like, oh, here I am again. Nope, I'm going to follow you, Lord. Forgive me. And, and you know what God gets? What's he do? He gives you the strength. Boom. Next thing you know, you're, up, you're resurrected again, and you're walking, right? The problem isn't with him. It's with us, right? And Paul says it. He lays it out in, in Romans 6. He says, listen, who are you choosing to serve? Who are you obeying? Notice how service and obedience go. This, this sermon sounds a lot like last week's. Last week I was talking, on the, talking about the aspect of an obedient child. This week I'm talking about the aspect of a servant. It goes hand in hand. Obedience it, it weaves its way through all of these points. Because if we want to reproduce spiritual fruit, we're going to have to obey. We've got to obey if we want to reproduce that in others. And so Joshua, our model minister and servant, said this in Joshua 24, 15. 
And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, well, we will serve the Lord. You see, there was no question. It was like at the last, at the last Supper, right, before Jesus went to the cross. Everybody's looking around the table, and Jesus, he drops this, this info about, hey, someone's going to betray me. Everybody's going, who is it? Who is it? Right? Or no, no, let me rewind that tape. Everyone's going, is it me? Is it me? And John's like, who is it, Lord? <laughs> right? It ain't going to be me. And John's the one that followed him all the way to the cross. Now, you got to be careful. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Be careful. But uh, at the end of the day, there, there should certainly be an attitude like Joshua had, as for me. You know, ultimately, when we fall, aren't you thankful that Jesus did make it all the way? He was a sinless son of God. He never sinned, and yet he died on the cross in our place. Why? So that when we fall, he could get us back up. That's what a brother does. A brother is born for a day of adversity, and he picks us back up, and he gets us walking again. Praise God. So a synonym for the single heart is the word whole. It's the whole heart. And in math, we, <clears throat> we call a collection of whole numbers integers. An integer is, the root word there is, is the same word we use for integrity, right? It's solid, it's whole. And it's no surprise that a great deal is said in the scripture about the whole heart. It's when our heart is wholly committed to God that God's integrity is manifest in the life of his servants. And beloved, I can tell you today, that's where we're all struggling, I, I, me included. There's so many things to pull at our, our heart's desires and, t- and tension there. We've really got to be intentional about this point in the days, uh, always in the, in, throughout church history. But in the days that we're living in today, <clears throat> we really do need to like clear off a spot in our heart and say, you know what, Lord, uh, I'm going to wholly consecrate my heart to you. I, I, I'm, I'm going to do what it takes to set my affection on things above. I get in the Word every morning and daily, and, and I have to, always have since I've been saved. It just I can't walk. I, you know... You don't have to shower every day, but I do. You know, I like to shower every day. Same thing with the Word, man. I like to be in the Word every day. It just cleans me off, gets me where I need to go. But I tell you, beloved, as we go forward in this life, there's so many other things that are vying for our attention and our time and our minds. We need to really sanctify the time we have in God's Word because that's what's going to set us apart and give God our whole heart, not just a half heart, right? Not half-hearted. He needs our whole heart. David said to be a man... David is said to be a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14, the Bible says, But now the kingdom shall, be, shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because <clears throat> thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Right? Why was Saul disqualified? Because he did not keep that which the Lord commanded him. Now, we're getting ready to celebrate a, a wonderful uh, celebration tonight, our graduates from HBI. Uh, and Randy and myself and all the pastoral team, we'll tell you, we gave them everything we got. But the, the celebration is awesome because they did endure hardness for four years. It was very difficult. But on the other side of that thing, <clears throat> there's even a bigger weight, which is keeping that which is committed, right? That's the reality. Keeping hold of that thing and reproducing that in others, that's a big, that's a big task. <clears throat> the reason I'm here, the reason I'm in Harrisonville, the reason I'm a pastor is that very thing, is that once you have that knowledge, what are you going to do with it? You know, you're just going to go back to work and act like nothing happened? No, you're committed. This has been committed to you. If you get it, <clears throat> you better do something with it. And so, and so uh, David was like, man, um, 
I'm, I'm down with Jesus. So David was selected <clears throat> from the sheepfold because of the condition of his heart. In Psalm 78 and verse 70, the Bible says, He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, <clears throat> great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. And so his heart was integral to every aspect of his leadership. Thank you. <clears throat> and so uh, David was in a situation where uh, he, he served the Lord with a pure heart. He served the Lord with integrity of heart. And David was manifest as a faith-filled warrior because his heart sought after the will of God concerning Goliath and the reproach that was brought upon Israel. So we should pray with a whole heart. We all are familiar with Psalm 119, 145. He says, David said, I cried with my whole heart. <clears throat> I cried with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord, I will keep thy statutes. Man, what is God really asking? If you want a prayer that moves God the Father, what is it that's going to move him? Well, we started off in, in uh, 3 John verse 4, right? When we cry out to God with our whole heart saying, God, I just want to obey your word. Whenever, whatever, wherever, however, Lord, just you know, let me obey your word. And you desire that. And we desire that in our heart. Wow. What's the first thing that's going to be available to you to show your sincerity? Oh, I can tell you, an opportunity to serve. It may be to serve your family, your, your wife, your husband, your children. It may be to serve your neighbor. You don't even have to get to church yet. There's going to be opportunities to serve him in a way that reflects what you just prayed. <clears throat> and then you know what? God's going to open the door in ministry. All of a sudden, you've been, you've been hearing announcements for, we need children's workers, we need children's workers. All of a sudden, God's going to prick your heart and say, well, maybe I could do that. Maybe you could. Maybe you could help in VBS. Maybe you could. Maybe you could help mow the lawn. Maybe you could. Maybe you could go take it into the streets. Yep, maybe you could. Maybe you could go walk for life next, next Saturday. Yes, you can, right? So there's all these opportunities to serve God. Why? Because of your heart and your relationship with Him. And as you do that, you don't always know the outcome. And, and maybe it's kind of a benign situation where you just go and did it. And you're like, well, I don't know. I just did what I was supposed to do. No, no, no lightning bolts. No great, you know, nothing happened. Okay. But you know what? It's amazing. <clears throat> it's usually the times when you don't even realize God's working in your life like that, when God's doing stuff. People are watching how you handle things. People are watching what you're doing. Sometimes they're just watching your steadfastness and your desire to follow God and serve Him obediently. And you don't know how God's using you. And uh, you don't have to be up here in the pulpit for God to get a lot of traction out of your service. Um, man, I tell you what, God wants to use you, and it starts in the heart. So we should praise God. We should pray with our whole heart. And we should praise God with our whole heart. Psalm 138 says this in verse 1. Uh, he says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. Man, I, that's a powerful verse. The gods, small g. Right? When we're praising, man, the angels are like, look out. Look out. Fallen angels are saying, look out. There's, there's somebody praising with their whole heart. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Man, what are we praising God for? The fact that we have his word and it is true. It is above everything else and our heart is focused on that. We should praise God with our whole heart. Not half-hearted praise. Wholehearted praise. What is keeping you from praising God with your whole heart? I don't like the style of music. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. 
Well, make up your own music. Make up your own song. You know, Beethoven, whatever you got to do, man. And, and, and sing with your whole heart to the Lord. You ain't going to sing to your whole heart if you're not praying with your whole heart. So what is it that's keeping that wholehearted experience from being there? You know, you and I all, we know what it's like to be half-hearted, not fully in, not fully persuaded. It didn't work so well for Agrippa. Remember what Paul said to Agrippa? Hey, I wish, I wish you were wholly persuaded. Agrippa, you're going to miss hell or miss heaven and spend eternity in hell because you're not wholehearted in this belief in who Jesus Christ is. Well, beloved, we, we can all go, yeah, that's right, preach it, brother. But then we turn around as his servant sometimes, and we're just kind of half-hearted. You know what that means is we're not really all in for the one who we're serving. Who do you think we might be serving if we're not all in for the one we're supposed to be serving? That could be Satan, but I think before I get to Satan, I hate to tell you all, I'm going to want to serve myself. Yes, yeah, Satan certainly. I'm sure Satan ever wants to intervene every so often. But I think most of, most of the time, most of us servants, we do a pretty good job of serving ourselves, right? And so God's like, hey, could you just give me your whole heart? What's that mean? We've got to die to self. Remember, the, I was just started in Mark. Mark didn't even give gene, the genealogy of Jesus. Why? Because he's a servant. You just serve. You do what you're supposed to do. And you serve the Lord. Our focus as a humble servant must be on the Lord, not men. Oh, so if it's not serving ourselves, sometimes it's other people, right? We'll do it for other people. So you're blank, there's the Lord, not men, right? And he's very clear about this. Look at verse 6. How are we to serve? Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You say, well, Brian, I don't serve myself. Okay, well, maybe you're serving someone else. Now, there's a, obviously, there's a, in, like in marriage, you should serve your, your spouse, and you should serve others, and we should serve. But the point is this. <clears throat> the motive is to serve the Lord. And that makes all the difference, not in... Because once you're... Now we're underway. We're talking about service. So we've gotten from, you know, being on the ground, not being able to serve. We're walking in the Spirit. We're, we're trying to serve the Lord. But what really hinders us oftentimes is we're focused <clears throat> on, the, on the wrong people. We're focused on ourselves. We're focused on others, maybe their adulation, maybe their acceptance, whatever. And Jesus is like saying through Paul, saying, hey, focus on me. Focus on me. Right? Peter was a servant. We ended, we've talked about him quite a bit, right? He was a servant. But when he got focused on what he wanted for the kingdom instead of what Jesus wanted for the kingdom, ugh, it messed up his service. And it messed up his attitude. So he had to get that straight before he could finish his call. And God was happy to help him with that. So often in the church, I mean, come on. I mean, you guys have been around. If you've been saved very long, you're going to see someone on fire for God, grow cold, grow dim. Why? Because things didn't go the way they wanted. Right? It's an unmet expectation. How many marriages do you see like that? A couple gets together and till, till death do we part, man. They, they say, yes, yes, we're going we're gonna to go forward if they're Christians. We're going to serve God. We're going to serve God and light the world on fire. But what happens? They get an unmet expectation. Something goes wrong. And the next thing you know, they're sideways. And the next thing you know, they're sideways with their spouse. They're sideways with their boss. They're sideways with their church family. Whatever. There's a, at the end of the day, we're just not happy with what the Lord provided. Man, we got to be servants. We're here for his use, not for ours. So Galatians 1 says this, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? 
For if I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul says, you know, there's times when I just have to be uh, straight up with y'all. I can't please men. I have to please Christ. Even when it's painful, and it can be painful, to serve Christ and not men. Uh, There are times when you are serving that you'll be putting your whole heart in for Christ, and you know what? People may not appreciate it. They may not like it. Well, that's when you better be serving Jesus. Because if what you're doing for Jesus, uh, what you're doing for your family, what you're doing for your boss at work, is because you're wanting their approval and acceptance, you're going to be disappointed. You need to do it for Jesus. I need to do it for Jesus. <clears throat> and, uh, and you'll be tested on that, believe me. And it's good. Because you know what? <clears throat> you realize that serving Christ is the only way to fly. He's, he's going to reward you. <clears throat> Having peace with God. The real minister is focused on pleasing Christ, not men. Serving God in ministry requires humility and singleness of heart. We have, we've already seen that we cannot serve two masters, but you will be expected from time to time, <clears throat> but you will be expected from time to time to serve um, uh, different masters, and you'll be put in this tension. So if you have your Bibles, turn back to, to Daniel chapter 3. This is illustrated in Daniel chapter 3. Right? It says don't serve two masters, but the reality is at times you're forced to choose which one am I going to serve. And I, and I hope this will encourage you. This is a familiar passage, Daniel chapter 3. But there were some men here that they, they, did, they had made up their mind. They, they knew, like Joshua, where they were going to go. And that's, really what, that's why we're here this morning. We want to be in a situation where we know that our heart, our service, is a reality of HBF. We want to reproduce this fidelity to Christ, this service attitude, this obedience, and this servant mindset where we're faithful to Christ. Now, Daniel chapter 3, uh, you know the story here in Daniel 3. Nebuchadnezzar is the king. He builds this golden image, and they, he's wanting everybody to worship it. And it says in verse 8, Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews, and they spake and said uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth that, he should be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not the, uh, thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, his, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which also are known as Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, by the way. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you not serve my gods? nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if you be ready, <clears throat> that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that shall deliver you out of my hands? I'm going to pause there. So we see here a man who has made an image, and he says, worship. Now, this is obviously a picture of what's coming in the tribulation 
uh, period, not many days hence, with the Antichrist, when he will make everyone on this planet worship his image. But I digress. Historically, this is going on, and this and Nebuchadnezzar is being gracious. He's saying, hey guys, did I hear that you were bowing down to my image? Well, hey, let me give you some heads up. Before I kill you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to live. Just bow down next time you hear the music play. Remember what Jesus said in his public ministry to the Pharisees, Sadducees? He says, you guys, you guys pipe, and you want me to dance. Jesus is like, I ain't dancing. He's the author, right? He's the composer. He's not dancing. He wasn't playing games. And you know what? These boys aren't playing games either because they were servants. They, they, they were there to serve the Lord God. He, they knew who their Lord was. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this manner. If be so, our God, whom you serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of, the hand, out of thy hand, O king. You know what? And if not, so be it. These men were willing to die rather than bow their knee to a false image. And so we need to understand that, that, that we are in a situation when we're serving God that we have to have complete fidelity uh, to Him. We can't bow to those gods. The apostles served with this type of integrity because why? They loved God with their whole heart. They were single-hearted. Beloved, a lot of people worry about, would I die if I was a martyr, uh, you know, and all of that. Well, God will give you the grace when you need it. The issue isn't what will happen someday. The issue is what's happening today, right? Do we serve God with our whole heart today? You're not going to, these guys, they built up to this. They didn't just wake up one morning and all of a sudden this is where they were at. They spent their lifetime serving God in a way that God could put them in that position. Beloved, I would pray to God that, that we would be that way. My daughter and I have been talking recently about the Columbine shooting and how satanic that was because we have all of these shootings and we were just kind of going down memory lane. And there's no way to explain what's going on in our country other than it's demonic, right? I mean, that's it. It's wicked and evil. Those who hate God love death. I mean, there's your answer. And it's, and it's terrible. And, of course, they're going to prey on the weakest and most vulnerable. But, uh, you know, I was, we were talking about that one young lady. I think her name was Cassie or Cassie. And uh, she was a Christian, and she just in her soul knew that, that she was all in for Jesus. And sure enough, when that day came, out of all the people, they selected her and said, hey, you need to renounce Jesus. It wasn't just, hey, we want to kill you. You, young lady, need to renounce Jesus. And what did she say? No. And she went home to be with the Lord. That's incredibly terrible. But you know what? She's just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. She's like, hey, you are not, I'm serving Jesus, and I'm serving Jesus with my whole heart. And when tested, there was nothing. You know what those boys did? They thought they took her life, and they just gave her eternal life. And unfortunately for them, I'm sure they probably ended up in eternal death. So point B, real ministers serve uh, for a sure reward. This is the best news ever, because you serve, what, for a sure reward? By the way, you can go back and you can read more about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you haven't heard the whole story, you need to go back and look at it. But go back to Ephesians 6. It says there in verse 7, "...with good will doing service as to the Lord, and not, with, not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free." So point one, make sure you are working for the Lord, because he will reward his labors even when your boss won't. Right? There's times when your boss just, he's just going to be, he's just going to miss it. But God will not miss it. 
God will reward you no matter what. 1 Timothy 5.18 says, For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. God is concerned about giving the laborers their reward. Even when we're not keeping score, God is. Galatians 6.9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. When you know you're serving the Lord, you know what? You can let things roll off your back that you couldn't before. Like when you're a lost man and someone doesn't pay you, what do you do? You go into a rage, man. You want to go like choke, you know, take it out of their hide, literally. Right? That's how lost men think. But once you're saved, you're like, eh, the Lord will reward him. Right? You move on. Why? You can deal with it. You can, you, it can rolls off your back. You know what? And then God blesses you somewhere else. He just takes care of you. You don't have to get all caught up in the drama. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, I'm not saying you don't have issues, you don't have to deal with it. But at the end of the day, man, God's able to reward it. And so today, labor is, is considered dishonorable in our society. Um, there was a sign at, <clears throat> at Sonic in Albuquerque. It says, we are short-staffed. Um, please be patient with the staff that did not show up. No one wants to work anymore. This is a true story, right? This is Albuquerque, New Mexico. Studies show that the desire to work among those who are millennials, 25 to 40, and Gen Z, 18 to 24, is d- drastically different from the Generation X and the boomers before them. Now, the problem isn't labor or even being lazy. You know what the problem is what they, when they research it, what it is? It's motivation. People just are not motivated. Working for the man is not attractive. Uh, if the rich get richer and the poor get poor, right, then the social construct It just lends itself to more Marxism, and that's taking root in a younger generation. Why? Because in our culture, we we don't understand that service is actually honorable. You can even see it in the military. Top Gun comes out, the whole country convulses. It's like, finally, something patriotic, right? You know, because we all understand intuitively that it is honorable to serve and to give your life for a cause that's bigger than yourself. But yet, the minds of people are being corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Well, who's going to represent that to the world? Hmm, let me think. Oh, it's those Bible-believing Christians who put others ahead of themselves. And they serve the Lord with their whole heart. And I know you all do that, so praise God. You know what? People are thirsting for that kind of thing. That's why I believe a lot of people are like, oh, woe is me. And I'm like, man, praise God. Right now is the best time to be a Christian. Right now is the best time to have a church. Now is the best time to preach the gospel. Now is the best time to not just get up and have cool music and not just do cool things and donuts. Come for the donuts and dads. But, I mean, it's not just about that. There better be some meat, right, on the table. There, this is a Bible full of answers. And you think, oh, man, it's getting bad. It could get worse. It could get much worse. And you know what? We'll still have the answers. It could get incredibly bad, and we'll still have the answers. And we'll still have the joy of the Lord, and He will still be our strength. And there is nothing that stops the church of God. Man, praise God. Isn't that awesome? I think it's awesome. It encourages me in my soul. Oh, how can you not sing to God with your whole heart? Praise God. The humble servant doesn't labor for earthly riches. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, and they fly away as an eagle towards heaven. Oh, there's so many th- things more important than money. Amen? Oh, yeah, lots of things more important than money. The humble servant labors for the Lord, knowing that the Lord is just and will take care of his needs. 
and even some of his wants. In John 6, 26, the Bible says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him God the Father sealed. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 says, And labor, working with your own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it. We allow it. Why? Because we know who's going to reward our service. Paul warns against being a deadbeat disciple. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, he says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which you've received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to, not to, or how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Right? He had, they had their act together. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. In Second Thessalonians 3, the Bible says, Now uh, them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat, with their own, uh, and they eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. There were some deadbeats in the church. Paul had to address that. He's like, listen, those of us that, are, they're, they're, that are, are born again need to serve the Lord with fidelity. We need to have our lives in order. We need to be serving with discipline. Well, where do you get discipline? It's taught. It's teaching. That's what discipleship's all about. You see, a lot of churches aren't discipling. We're not creating unit discipline. We're not creating individual discipline. And because of that, it's affecting the world around us because... Things aren't done decent and in order. Now, <clears throat> we are salt and light. We are the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, whether bond or free, we'll be rewarded. So real ministers reproduce obedient children. They reproduce humble servants. And lastly, real ministers reproduce submissive masters. Verse 9, let's look at verse 9 and we'll be done. It says, And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him. You know, real ministers lead by example. That goes without saying, doesn't it? Point one here, the master, Jesus, led by example. I think most of us know that. The last words in, uh, to Peter in John 21, we just talked about that time, right? When he was getting Peter back on his feet, getting him ready to go back into action. The last words that he tells Peter is, follow me, follow me. To the apostle, the apostle Paul encouraged everyone to participate in his ministry too. In Philippians 3.17, he said, Brethren, be ye followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So there are two types of people to mark in a church. Those who follow Christ and bear the fruit of the Spirit, and those who follow the lust of the flesh and are used by Satan to sow discord among the brethren and minister for Satan. Because certainly, remember we started this sermon last week when we started into this, talking about Satan has his ministers as well. There are some that want to sow discord, that want to cause problems for whatever reason, and those are not the ones you follow. I remember when Amy and I were coming up in the ministry, we literally, as a, as a couple, we started marking in our, just ourselves, saying, you know what, those folks cannot get over whatever Pastor Adams has said or done for whatever reason. You know what, I, I'm not, we're not going to listen to that anymore. We're just not going to do that. I'm not going to undermine, because if I sit there and condone it, then I'm not, you know, I'm part of it at that point. And it was a very difficult time. I, I won't get into all the background, but it was a time where I understood, which she understood as well, that it was important for the fidelity of our walk with the Lord, but also the health of the church and the health of our disciples, that we, were, that we followed the Lord faithfully, 
right? There was no joke. And so those that were sowing discord, man, we just stayed away from them. There's times in a church where you have to mark those that are sowing discord. You know, we think about church discipline. You think about people that are committing adultery and all these things. It's usually the sexual sins. Everybody's like, <gasps> but if you go back and look at that list, you know what? Slander is on that list. Slander's in there. I've seen some, I've seen some people slander some of our pastors. It's, I'm looking at Steve for one. I know he's been slandered. It's ridiculous. God just judges it outside of the church discipline thing. But if you want to sit around and slander people, uh, man, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong house. If I don't get a hold of it and God doesn't judge it from officially, he will judge it formally and unofficially. But it will be judged. And so slander, by the way, the root word for that is, I believe, serpent, if I remember right. And so there are some that, you know what, you need to follow because, man, they're fidelity. They're faithful to the Lord. Now, nobody bats a thousand, right? So don't let your expectations. Only Jesus, he's the perfect servant. We all will let you down. So just start there, all right? But you know that their heart is where it needs to be, with their whole heart. They're serving the Lord. And then there's, there's those that Paul says, hey, you better mark that dude, Romans 16, 17, because he's always causing divisions and offenses. Contrary, it's against the doctrine. It's against what the Bible's teaching. And so you need to avoid that person. Point three. So we need a model to follow. The best model to follow is Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul wanted to remind the Corinthians that what it looked like to follow him, so he sent his disciple and son in the Lord, Timotheus, to remind them. Isn't that cool? So like Paul's like, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you a YouTube video. No, he's like, here, I'm going to send you Timotheus because he's following the Lord like I do because we're following Christ together. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says this in verse 16. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me, for this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus. For what cause? For the cause of you following me, I sent you Timotheus. Uh, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring uh, you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. That's why we're high on discipleship, because discipleship is the way God ordained for us to continue to emulate what it is to follow him. All the way from Peter, James, John, the others, uh, the other nine, uh, to us, right? It comes down, and that's what discipleship is all about. It's all about that, point B. So real ministers know who has placed them in authority. When God gives you authority, point one, take it seriously because you are accountable to him. You see how that goes back to the servant point, right? The previous one. Once God, you're like, man, <clears throat> I used to say this a lot, uh, and, I, and I'm owning this T-shirt. Uh, I used to say, well, when I, so how I would deal with unmet expectations back in the day when I was just rank and file, and I'm still rank and file, but you know what I'm saying. I wasn't in the office of a pastor. I was just, just one y'all. And I'm running through the, the, the ministry business. And you know what? Inevitably, something's going to happen, and you're just not pleased with it. Any, that ever happened to anybody? Right? But you're serving the Lord. So this is what I used to say to myself. Well, if, right? If and when I'm ever in charge, I'll change that, brother. You got it. I'll do it differently. When I'm in charge, you know how many times since I've been a pastor, I look back and I I think of things, and I'm like, oh. I've even, told, I've even met with my pastor, Jeff Adams, before and said, bro. I didn't say bro. I probably said brother. But I said, uh, man, I, I appreciate more now. You know, I understand, right? So I tell you what, I tell you what guys, it's, it's, uh, when you're in charge, you can do it different. You know what it's like. 
you know, you're that kid. You're going to rage against the machine. I'll show mom and dad I'm going to the military. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're not going to submit to anybody. Uh, go get that T-shirt. You know how it is. Well, when I raised my kids, how many of you said that one before you had kids? Yeah, you know how that goes. Once you have your own kids, you're like, uh, well, maybe not. Maybe it wasn't as easy as I said it was going to be. You know what I'm saying. You know what happens. When God puts you in authority, you still realize you're under authority, don't you? God has a way of working that out. You think you're all that in a bag of chips and you're going to lord over the flock, whether that be your little flock of your wife or your little flock of your family and, or your little church flock or whatever, your job, your employer, whatever, you got your little business going on. And you roll in there like you're the man. And hey, you may be the man or you may be the woman, but I tell you what, you better be a humble one. This is America. This is America, depending on who you are. And you know what? People, people find another job. They were looking for one when they came to you. And I tell you what, the best servants are the ones that want to be there. And the best, best masters are the ones that appreciate that. I mean, beloved, I've, been, I've had the opportunity. Um, I, before I was in, in the ministry, I, I was in a business where I managed people who could kill me every day. Um, I don't mean literally. Well, probably literally. But I mean, they, they, on the jobs I managed, I had no power. I mean, they had to do it or we were going to lose money. So they, I, I was like, man, I hope they like what's going on here because I need them to make money. right? And they could hurt you if they wanted to. Uh, but at the end of the day... It was all about the money. Everybody, for the most part, was serving for the money, the money, the money. But since I've been in the ministry, you know what? We haven't been able to pay people really what they're worth since we started this, this, since this ministry got started. Because no one does it for the money. They do it for Jesus. Man, isn't that awesome? There's people in this ministry that serve day in, day out, week in, week out. And, I mean, you know how much we pay Mitchell? Nothing. But you know what? He'll be rewarded in the, at, the, at the judgment seat of Christ. And we do this for the Lord. We know we're doing it. We have to do it by faith because we know where the re- sure reward is. When you're in authority, you realize you're under authority. And it works regardless of what, what you're doing, whether it's ministry or business. If you're a business person, man, realize that even if God, if God has blessed you with the opportunity to be a manager, uh, an owner, uh, whatever the case, God is entrusting you with that. So it is a ministry. And people want to serve you because you're following Christ, even in a business setting. I promise you that. When they see the integrity of Christ coming out of you, I was down here getting ready for this, uh, uh, getting ready for this uh, baseball thing that we're doing down here, uh, Faith and Family Day at the K. And Dayton Moore, Pat was there. Is Pat in the house? Give me a wave. There he is. Pat can vouch for this. Didn't Dayton Moore say it? He's sitting up there talking about Salvi, Salvador Perez. And he's like, you know what? Uh, we could have we could have we could have locked him in his contract, and he had been underpaid for several more years. But you know what? They decided not to. Now that's a small market team. They really don't have the money, like the New York Yankees or something, to pay him properly. But instead, they renegotiated his contract, gave him as much as they could to keep him in Kansas City. You know why a company does that in the entertainment business? Because guys like Dayton Moore born again. That doesn't come because he's trying to squeeze every nickel out of everything. He knows in this little market, the best thing we're probably going to get for a while, Salvi, because uh, to do what they did in the past probably is not going to happen. So they went ahead and invested in a guy they believe was vested in the community. You know what? That, that kind of integrity, it comes from Christ, and it affects people. 
I was sitting there listening to that going, man, you know what? I don't care if the, the Royals, well, I do. I wish the Royals would win, honestly. But, I mean, even though they're not going to win, I respect that guy. He's an honorable man because he serves honorably. So when God gives you authority, take it seriously because you're accountable to him. If a man is to serve God, he must submit to authority. Submission is higher than, than our work. Even if David set the whole kingdom in order, this would avail nothing without being under God's authority. He would still be like Saul. Even if everything was done perfectly, right? If he didn't submit to the Lord's authority, he would still be like Saul. That's ultimately what it boils down to. So point two, real ministers cannot be respecter of persons. That is why real, uh, a real church with real ministry will grow to be diverse. God loves all people, and his passion is to see all people one, and that will be manifest in a church that loves him. So we don't care what social strata people come from. We don't care what color they come from. We covered all that at the beginning. Everyone's welcome. Everybody's one. But it gets right back to the leadership. If you've got an attitude as a leader, it's going to be reflected in the congregation. If you don't know how to reach out uh, to people that are different from you, find a way. A real minister will not be a respecter of persons because they understand how much God loves people. Today, Christians are considered uh, homophobic because they are loyal to biblical position against sexual perversion. We care enough to tell sinners that the way to escape the bondage of sin and death is through Jesus Christ. They're not bound to that situation. They, are fr- they can be free from that through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is true for all issues of, of uh, immorality, from slavery to murder to all kinds of sexual perversion. Who stands on the truth? Well, we do. The church does. Why do we not worry about what the world says or how they, they turn that if you don't wear your rainbow shirt or whatever? Because we serve Christ. You know, take my job, whatever. Take my tax status, whatever you got to do. But at the end of the day, we're going to serve Christ and we're still going to love you because we love him first. It's hard to see a disadvantaged child and not love it. A dirty child that's not clean and, then, and just walk away and not clean it. A hurting child and not heal it. So our compassion must be God's compassion to win the lost and raise up babies to spiritual maturation and maturity. One of the, the balances to Ephesians 6, 9 is Colossians three twenty two through 25. We understand that God will judge us for how we serve. Every leader understands he is a servant to the Lord. So we can't justify uh, uh, forsaking the word of God in the name of being inclusive. Colossians 3.22 says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Right, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the in- inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. Ultimately, our service is him to him. But he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. What Paul makes abundantly clear in Ephesians 6, 9 is that God, if he puts you in charge, uh, be not many masters, for ye shall receive the greater condemnation. He's going to judge. Right? If he delegates authority, then he's going to judge on that. And so masters need to be humble. Right? They need to be obedient, just like those that are children, just like those that are servants, because at the end of the day, we all serve the Lord. So ministry, point three, and I'm done, is a sacred trust that must be honored. It's honorable uh, to be a real minister. You know what? People look down on labor, like in India, they look down on laborers. But you know what? People who serve the Lord, people who are real ministers, real servants, they're reproducing Christ in others. 
The world's not going to clap their hands and say, oh, wow, look at that. Look at the discipleship that Heartland's doing over there. That's wonderful. They're not going to rejoice in that. But you know who will? Jesus Christ. You know what? So many pastors have left off making disciples, and they're worried. They're worried that they're not palatable to the world. We'll never be palatable to the world. The person that we got to be palatable to, the person that needs to digest what we're bringing, the salt and the light needs to be coming to the Lord, right? And it is the glory of God and the goodness of God that leads others to repentance as he works that out in our lives. Man, ministry is a sacred trust, and it must be honored by real ministers. It doesn't matter if it's cleaning the toilets, preaching a sermon, helping an old lady across the street, whatever it may be. May God's grace be reflected through the character of our lives that we serve a creator, that we're, we're obedient children. We're humble, uh, we're, we're humble servants, right? And we're, and we're obedient masters. I got that backwards. Yeah, we're humble servants and submissive masters. The masters that are in charge are just as submissive to the Lord as they're asking others to be to themselves. Man, that, that's going to cook. That's going to that's get somewhere. And God's going to use that to bless it. All right? So that's our fourth point. Real ministers, you know what they do? They reproduce God's character because it's through service that God's character gets reproduced in our lives and it's worked out through ministry. That's all part of discipleship. Let's stand together in an attitude of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this,